So it's Philippians chapter 4, starting from verse 10. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Thanks, Sarah. Um, we're coming now to uh, the very end of our journey through Philippians. Uh, it's the amazing and encouraging letter that Paul wrote from prison uh, in, in Rome, we believe. Uh, in our series, we've seen how the gospel impacts all of our life. Uh, because of the gospel, uh, because of the good news of Jesus, uh, it really is life-changing. Uh, in the gospel, we hear that amazing news that Jesus, uh, who for eternity past had lived in glory, uh, had lived in the heavenly realms, being in very nature God, and yet Jesus humbled himself. Uh, he took on flesh, becoming like us, and more than that, he became a servant, a servant to all, and, and served us by choosing willingly to go to his death on the cross uh, to pay the price for all our sins, uh, to pay for all the ways we have insulted and offended a holy God. Jesus rose to new life, uh, offering us uh, not just a relationship with our Creator, good, amazing though that is, He does even more than that. He offers us eternal life. Uh, that whole journey uh, of Jesus, that whole uh, life and ministry of Jesus was entirely an act of grace and of kindness. Uh, we earned nothing, we, we deserve nothing, and yet he, he so kindly did all of that for us. Uh, this good news, this gospel, it changes our lives, doesn't it? It changes everything when we trust in Jesus. And Philippians, uh, in this letter Paul has written, explores how uh, the gospel shapes things like our ambitions, uh, humility, our joy, the relationships and unity we have as a church, uh, our confidence as God's people, our attitudes. Um, these are all big themes we've explored uh, week in, week out as we've uh, rolled through Philippians over the last two months. And today, Paul returns to where he started back in chapter 1. If you can remember all the way back to chapter 1, many of you won't be able to. It's a long time ago now. Uh, we started there with a focus uh, that's uh, focus on the partnership that he has had with the Philippian church. Paul and the Philippians have had a wonderful partnership in the gospel. Uh, but this time, as we finish in chapter 4, the focus here is on really one important part of that partnership. Uh, Paul's writing about their financial partnership. 
Uh, and we then come to the final theme uh, in Philippians we're going to cover in our series, is how the gospel shapes our generosity. Um, now, I've left out on your seats today booklets about giving, uh, some little handbook on giving at Trinity Church Tonsley. Uh, the reason I've done that is I just won't have time to cover this passage and also uh, take us through what the Bible says more generally about the topic of giving and money. Um, I hope these booklets will be a really helpful addition to what we're covering here in Philippians 4 and encourage you to take them home, to read and to, to think and pray. Uh, but I ask you to put them aside for now. Uh, very distracting, flicking through. There's interesting things in there. Uh, but instead, keep your Bibles open as we, uh, as we have a look at Philippians. Um, as we cover this topic of money um, and our relationship with it, my worst fear this morning uh, is that there may be some here today who are um, tentatively checking out church, maybe for the first time, uh, maybe for the first time in a long time, and you may be very suspicious about pastors talking about money. Uh, maybe you've had bad experiences of that in the past. And uh, look, if that's you, I want to say a massive welcome. We are so glad you're with us this morning. Um, I really hope today not to add another bad, experiences, uh, bad experience uh, to, your, to your experience of church and money. Uh, instead, my hope is that as we carefully look at this passage, uh, my hope is for all of us that we see just how good it is, uh, how, how much of a privilege it is for those who've, whose lives have been changed by the gospel to be overwhelmingly generous. Not because we have to, uh, not because Christians should be pressured to be generous, there's not targets we need to hit, uh, but just to see the reality here of gospel generosity, to see that it's a great joy, it's a great privilege for us, because it reflects the incredible generosity that God has shown each one of us. In fact, I would go as far as arguing that uh, you know you've understood Christianity. You know Christianity, and you know what God is like, only when, only when you understand why Christians would happily give away money, willingly want to be generous, sacrificially generous. If you've understood that, you've understood Christianity, because you've understood grace. Now, this is a challenging topic, um, and I want to say up front, as always, this is a sermon first preached to me. Uh, like all of us, I have room, great room to grow uh, in the way I think about money and my relationship with, us, uh, relationship with it. And so I've been really thankful for my time this week in Philippians 4, and I hope you'll find it helpful as well. Uh, the Bible is full of warnings, isn't it, uh, about the kind of relationship or attitudes we might have around money. Uh, some of Jesus' most cutting and uh, difficult teaching is about that topic, about money. It's not because uh, money or wealth in themselves are bad or evil things we have to get rid of. That's uh, not the issue. It's not money that's a problem, it's us. Um, the, the human heart has a unique tendency, I think, to, to be captured by the illusion uh, cast by the promises of wealth. Uh, captured, perhaps, or sometimes even enslaved by the illusion of wealth. In a place like Australia... Uh, Famously, the lucky country, we have it so good here. Uh, we are some of the wealthiest people on earth. Not just that, not just some of the wealthiest people on earth, but some of the wealthiest people of all time. The average Australian uh, is very, very wealthy by world and historical standards. So you'd think, uh, you'd think that generosity is part of the Australian culture, wouldn't you? We've got so much. Surely we're very generous people here in Australia. We've got such a prosperous land. I found out this week that, on average, Australians give away, uh, Australian households give away 0.4% of our taxable income to not-for-profits. 0.4% of our taxable income for average Australians to not-for-profits. That's less than half a percent of our income is directed outwards to the good of others, on average. Meanwhile, uh, the average Australian expense uh, in households 
Of, of the average Australian expense for households, 5% of that goes to alcohol. Now, there's nothing wrong uh, with alcohol in itself, of course, but I think this is a good example of one area of non-essential spending, uh, an alarmingly high expense for many households. Um, when you consider 5% of expenses going to alcohol and you compare to how much is given away, the point here is I think we do not live in a generous culture at all. And that will rub off on us more than we know, I suspect. Now, on top of that, the other thing that makes this difficult is that every headline we see right now tends to include cost of living, uh, inflation, interest rate pain. Uh, it does not seem like a great time to be talking about growing in our generosity, does it? Uh, it seems that the world is saying, tighten up, be careful, uh, be conservative. It's just that if we waited for the perfect time to talk about generosity, uh, my guess is we never would find that perfect time. Philippians 4 here gives us a really healthy view of money. Uh, it's challenging, but it's challenging in a really positive, really encouraging way. And I want to say, if you're someone who's feeling really crushed by your finances right now, if things are really hard, uh, the last thing you need to be told is to just give away more money. Um, you'll find encouragement here in Philippians 4. It's a good passage for us. There's no pressure. There's no compulsion. Uh, it's not about guilt or, uh, yeah, having... Uh, great stress because of your circumstances. Uh, this passage is about our heart before God and what's going on there. And so for those of you who are like me, uh, you think about this passage, you feel that great tension on the topic of generosity. Uh, there's a tension that, yes, I want to be open to growing more to be generous. That's a good thing. I want to be more like that. At the same time, I don't know. I don't really want to be more generous. I need to give more stuff away. Uh, there's always a tension, uh, I feel. I'm sure some of you are similar. Again, this passage helps us grow our hearts to the things that matter most. And it helps us have that relationship with money as God intends, not as the world around us would have us. So as we follow Jesus, as we listen to his teaching about money, Jesus really ought to be the first and most important voice we listen to, shouldn't it? Uh, we should be listening to the investment strategies that Jesus uh, tells us to take. Uh, so this is from Matthew. He gives us this, uh, this wonderful investment strategy. Here it is. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, when you've, those of you have financial advisor or accountants, has anyone ever told you that? Go to your financial advisor and say, oh, don't worry about storing up money here, just, you know, Stir up in heaven. No, no financial advisor in their right mind would start with that financial advice. For those of you who listen to uh, Finfluencers on TikTok, I believe they're called, Financial Influencers on TikTok, um, doesn't that just sound like rubbish advice uh, for most of them? Because for them, the whole point of life is to store up treasures for, our, for ourselves here and now. No, says Jesus, that's not the point of life at all. The challenge for us is, will we listen to Jesus on this? What we have here in Philippians 4 is, is a worked example of how listening to Jesus looks on this topic, of how to invest not in ourselves or our financial futures first, but investing in the gospel, investing in the kingdom of God. It's the best possible thing we can do with the money that God has entrusted to us. Our generosity, our giving towards ministry on about the gospel, uh, is the sign, I think, that we are free and liberated people that we're not trapped by endless cycles of greed and consuming or having that constant strain of keeping up with our peers. Paul's here in prison uh, and, you know, the Roman, 
Roman prisons, uh, they actually didn't provide for their prisoners. Uh, they relied on the generosity of family and friends to bring food and, and supplies into them. But Paul writes here as someone who is entirely free. Verse 11. Uh, Paul rejoices so greatly in the Lord for the way the Philippians have expressed their concern. That clearly involves uh, sending financial gifts of some kind. What great joy there is for Paul in this moment. He knows there are people behind him. He's stuck in prison. Uh, His ministry seems to have hit the wall, but he knows there are people uh, spurring him on, encouraging him through it. In fact, they're with him thick and thin. They see the value of the gospel work that he's been doing, planting churches, sharing the gospel. And what a comfort, what an encouragement it would bring to have one of his dear friends rock up uh, to encourage him financially to keep going. Uh, we read about Epaphroditus, who's, who just rocks up out of the blue from Philippi, hundreds of miles away, with gifts, uh, with support from brothers and sisters there, and of course the encouragement and the prayers of his brothers and sisters as well. My guess is uh, it would have been nice for Paul to have got what he needed through an anonymous check in the mail or something like that. That would have been nice. But how much better that this generosity happens in relationship with people who care for Paul and want to see him thrive in his ministry. Uh, You notice down in verses 14 to 16 as well, this relationship is a long-standing one. It's not just a a short-term thing. Um, From the time that Paul first preached the gospel in Philippi, they partnered with him generously in a time that no one else was doing that. And and Paul has gone through some pretty rough years as as an apostle, and they supported him through it all, thick and thin. We might wonder, well, you know, were the Philippians just loaded? Did they have heaps of money they just, you know, sent off out of their abundance? Um, Not at all, actually. Uh, The period that Paul's talking about here is probably the same period he talks about elsewhere. And uh, I'll put up on the screen from 2 Corinthians 8. If you're taking notes and want to read and think more about uh, generosity and uh, partnership, 2 Corinthians 8 is a great passage to come back and and spend some time reading on uh, another time. I'll just read a few verses for for us here. Uh, This is what Paul writes to the Corinthians. Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Now, that's the Philippians. They're in Macedonia. uh, This is the Philippians. In the midst of severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they uh, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. Isn't that astounding? They were pleading to give their money away beyond what they could afford to do. They are generous people beyond their ability. And their generosity has encouraged Paul and enabled his ministry through some really dry, really tough times. Literally, actually, when you think about the course of history, uh, their generosity has changed the world. Their giving uh, that supported Paul, this great church planner, this great evangelist, uh, on one level we could say, through their generosity, the world has been changed. The lives, the salvation of many, including our own, uh, we, could, we could owe to the Philippians and their great generosity at one level. What a great investment. What a great investment. I think, of well, I think as well of the Purdy family. Uh, there's a family here from Adelaide that we've sent out. Uh, we pray for them. Uh, we've sent them out to be in South America. Um, thankfully, the Purdies haven't spent much time in jail, uh, which is great. Um, but it has been really hard for those guys. They've been there for nearly a year, or about a year, and uh, it's been tough going at times. Uh, they're there to share the gospel and to, to raise up local pastors, to equip them to share the gospel and to plant churches. Um, it's been hard at points. Now, they're supported uh, financially. They're enabled to do that uh, financially by people here in Adelaide. 
The Purdy's don't know who gives or how much they give, but what they do know is there are some households here at Tomsley uh, who are so convinced that God will use their efforts to bring himself glory and to save people, so convinced that we would give away money, give away money to enable that, to enable the Purdy's to go about that great work. On the days when uh, everything's going wrong, when the Spanish lessons are just not getting anywhere, when they're struggling, uh, finding it difficult, Knowing that we love them, that we're with them and behind them so much that we would even give money is a great source of joy, a great reason to rejoice and to push on. Now, sure, I'm sure the Purdy's would appreciate a random check in the mail from strangers. I'm sure that'd be okay. But how much more so this model of partnership uh, in a relationship, knowing that we're praying for them as well, seeking to care for them, it's a great thing for their hearts. Perhaps the surprising thing about generosity, though, is when you look at it from the other angle, we see how good it is for our hearts to be generous as well. I think it's very easy to imagine the lasting joy the Philippians had getting this letter uh, back from Epaphroditus, uh, reading these words from Paul, knowing their generosity had sustained and encouraged uh, this great man, their dear brother, through a tough time. You can imagine the Philippians as well, hearing more stories about what Paul's been up to and what God's been doing through him. Because of their generosity, God was building his kingdom It shouldn't surprise us, but there is a lot of joy to be had from investing in gospel work. Uh, Knowing that the money God has entrusted to us is being used by Him for His own glory. Uh, There are people who are hearing about Jesus for the first time. They're having their lives changed to eternity through the financial partnership we have. Through our finances, disciples are being nurtured and grown to maturity. It's a wonderful thing. So that's the big picture here in this chapter. Uh, the great joy that the gospel brings, uh, knowing the grace and sacrificial kindness of God, the depths of His love for us, it, it wells up and expresses itself in generosity, uh, special uh, in gospel partnerships like the Philippians giving to Paul's work, so others might hear that same gospel. It multiplies joy upon joy. That's the big picture, and Paul helps us dig into this more and gets us to look carefully at our relationship with money and our possessions from a couple of different angles, two main angles. Um, first of all, with himself as the case study, Paul gets us to have a, he sets himself as the example of a healthy, mature Christian and what our attitude to money, possessions, things we have, things we don't have. What does that look like? Paul uses himself as an example. That's the first thing. Second, he teaches the deep truths of what, it, what really happens when we're generous uh, to enable gospel ministry. So first of all, uh, let's look at the attitude towards having things that Paul talks about. Uh, Verse 11, this incredible statement. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Paul is content, stuck in a Roman prison, uh, not famous for their fine linen or their air climate control or their top-class catering, but he's content. Uh, If you work in uh, advertising or sales, that kind of statement should send a cold shiver down your spine, I think. Imagine if this caught on. What a disaster. Because verse 12, he continues, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. What a thing to say. Uh, Paul, uh, by the way, he's not exaggerating about the highs and lows of his life. Um, It's likely he grew up in a pretty privileged way. He was able to have an education. Um, But his life as an apostle certainly has had an extraordinary hardship. Uh, Prison, shipwrecks, beatings, Uh, going without food, without shelter. In every situation, he had learned to be content. 
What a rare thing to hear in our culture. Can you imagine uh, someone from the church in Philippi, say, 2,000 years ago, they catch a time machine. Uh, They come and visit us here in Tonsley in 2023. Can you imagine this ancient person walking around and looking at our very warm clothes, our beautiful enclosed footwear? Uh, Perhaps they go out to the car park and see our beautiful mechanical chariots that even play music and heat us up uh, as we drive home. They saw our homes and, you know, the digital servants we have to wash our dishes and our clothes for us. They see our cupboards overflowing with food we forgot we've even got, like old, old cans of black beans or the risoni we got during COVID we don't know what to do with now. So much food we've forgotten, we've got it, don't know what to do with it. Surely, even if the Philippians visited some of the poorest in our neighbourhood, I think they would still be astounded by our wealth, by our prosperity, because by global historical standards, we do live like royalty. That is to say, we have so much to be thankful for, don't we? Materially speaking, and far more spiritually as well, but in a place like this, we have so much to be thankful for. But are we content? Uh, Or do we find ourselves finding new ways to complain about things? Uh, Do we constantly daydream about the things we don't have? Uh, Do we notice more what we don't have than what we do? Especially when we see this shiny new thing advertised. I'm not sure um, the last time I heard the word covet come up in conversation. It's a funny old word, covet. Uh, But it's a pretty important one. It's in the Ten Commandments. The Tenth Commandment God gives us, do not covet. That is, do not seek for yourself things your neighbour owns. Basically, don't be greedy. That's the Tenth Commandment. Don't be greedy. Don't chase after stuff that's not ours. Now, how would social media even function if people were trying not to covet? be a disaster because we swim in a cultural stream that isn't generous and what's more we're bombarded with the message you should have this you should have this product you should have that experience you deserve it it'll make you fulfilled it'll make you happy advertising everywhere basically treating greed as an economic necessity even a moral good and if greed and a lack of generosity is the air we breathe seems that there may well be some blind spots each of us have on this area as well. So, perhaps a really good place to start is reflecting on how content am I? How content am I? It struck me this week, as I thought about that, uh, just how many things I should be thankful for. Uh, So many things. But not only do I not thank God for them, uh, I take them for granted, but more than that, I often get annoyed if those things aren't, you know, shinier, newer, uh, working faster, they're not bigger, they're not nicer and not as shiny as the things I see in the ads. I get annoyed or agitated when I'm reminded of these things. I'm not content sometimes. It's crazy. But we do so well, don't we, to sit at Paul's feet and to learn from someone who mastered this precious attitude of being content no matter what. Now, how do we do that? Uh, how do we uh, find that contentment? What's his secret? You, you would have noticed uh, he says he has learned the secret of being content. Well, he tells us, actually, verse 13, what that secret is. Verse 13, I can do all this, I can find contentment, all this, through him who gives me strength. The secret that Paul learned is if that we want to be content no matter our circumstances, Jesus helps us. Uh, being content requires great strength, huge strength, actually, something we can't muster up ourselves, so Jesus will give it to us. So we need to seek out Jesus' help on this, Keep asking him, perhaps first, to show us our blind spots and then ask him to give us the strength that our hearts might be changed. 
Uh, notice as well, there's a key word Paul uses here twice. He has learned this. He has learned to be content. I think this is crucial uh, to point out that contentment and thankfulness and joy that comes with it, it's not some sort of mystical quality that suddenly just descends on us out of the blue. It's also not a personality thing. Some people might find it easier, but it's not just a personality thing. Paul has applied discipline uh, to this area of his life. He's learned this. It's a conscious effort to grow. Jesus has given him great strength to learn, to grow, to maturity, but it's been a real effort. He's learned it. Now, we're all going to struggle with this in different ways, to different degrees, but if we're set on growing a heart for the kingdom of God, if we're concerned about storing treasure there instead of this world, this is going to take discipline, and it's going to take us being intentional and reflective about it. And so as we follow Jesus, we can all aspire, I think, to grow in the way we're content and thankful for all we have, no matter our circumstances. Needing that discipline, actually, of of starting with thankfulness for what we do have and having the discipline not to long for, not to daydream about the things we don't have and grumble because we don't have them. And especially, uh, we'll need that discipline time and time again to ask Jesus for his help in this area, to not have hearts that are captured by the stuff that uh, we think will make us happy. Learning to have that sort of discipline is going to be hard. Uh, Many of you are working hard on this, I know, but it's so important to keep working on it. And I think it'd be great to keep talking about this with each other as well, praying with each other, and it might be helpful to have others keeping you accountable to some of these things as well. And if you're someone who's finding finances especially stressful at the moment, I want to say, I don't think there's a switch we can kind of flick that suddenly makes us not care anymore. And Paul is not saying that financial hardship should be a breeze. That's not the case. It's actually okay to find this hard. My suggestion is to you is that perhaps it'd be great to find someone you trust, uh, someone you can share with and pray with. Even if you're not comfortable sharing the details of your struggles, that's okay, that's fine. But it'd be great to just to talk and pray with someone about that. We don't want to be a church that pretends everything's okay. Uh, we want to be a church that prays because it's not all okay. So, Paul has helped us here think about our attitudes towards what, what we do have and what we don't have. Uh, and how contentment is the goal. And contentment for me sounds like a really important foundation for then the next part of how to give stuff away. That is, if we're genuinely content with what God has already given us, I reckon we'd be more like the Philippians who are rushing out to give away heaps of money because it means they're not holding on too tight to what they have. They're content. They're content with what they have. And they know they'll be content if they give more of it away. Here, Paul gives some uh, really important perspective on uh, what they're giving to support gospel work means. Um, have a look at verse 17. He says, Paul says, Not that I desire gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Now, I think Paul's using a funny accounting pun there, ha ha ha, things being credited to your account. Uh, the idea of having uh, something credited to their account is Paul's way of saying he's hoping that God sees their generosity and will commend them for it. Well done. Well done, good and generous servants. Because after all, isn't that the only account that really matters? That God might approve of and be delighted in the way that we use the resources He's given us. It's kind of like, well, imagine at the end of our lives, uh, some kind of angelic accountant rocks up uh, with a breakdown of what we did with all the money that came and went through our whole life. There in one bit of paper, summary, charts, graphs, whatever, shows us what happened with the money. What do we do with it? 
I find that a pretty sobering thought. Um, look, whether you're more of a saver or more of a spender, uh, whether you're, you watch every dollar very carefully, budget every cent, or whether you're easy come, easy go, whatever your kind of approach and personality, what matters on our account before God is what brings Him glory. Of course, on that day, none of us are going to proudly defend all our finances before God. Um, so here, let me say, very importantly, Jesus died to give us His righteousness, including His perfectly kingdom-focused bank statements. They become a house. It's not our generosity that saves us. It doesn't add to our salvation one cent. It's the blood of Jesus on that day, which covers all our greed, pays for all our thanklessness and all our coveting. Uh, praise Jesus for that. But Paul's really putting it in the positive here, isn't he? He's praying that God would be delighted by their generosity. And this is such a great, heartwarming reminder. God really cares. He loves it when we're generous. And it gets even better, I think. At the end of verse 18, Paul describes their gift in, I think, one of the most wonderful ways. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. That is carefully, prayerfully, at setting our personal household budgets. As boring as that task may seem to many of us, it's a very spiritual activity. Having a spreadsheet open in front of you or bits of paper, whatever you use, that's very spiritual. It's a profound act of worship to manage our financial affairs. Our giving towards gospel work to kingdom activity, it's not just a cost of membership, it's worship. Uh, it's, it's how we express our thankfulness to God and His generosity to us. It demonstrates that we trust in Him uh, and He'll keep being good to us. Now, you think about what sacrifices were like in the Old Testament. God never actually enjoyed uh, the smell of burnt animals in that kind of sacrifice. That's not the point. He always enjoyed and cared more about the hearts of those who present the sacrifice. So, of course, God doesn't really care at all about the dollars and cents he doesn't need our money at all, does he? He's, he owns every cent in the universe. Um, which is to say, God could have provided for Paul if the Philippians needed to buy new heating for their church and didn't have the money to send. But God delights so much in the hearts of those who seek to worship him with our finances. And so perhaps like me, you can feel that tension I mentioned earlier, uh, that tension of both wanting to grow in generosity, but also not really actually wanting, part of me just doesn't want to give up anymore. Uh, this reminder that God delights in and is pleased by this very spiritual activity, it does encourage us to keep wrestling with that tension, uh, to keep coming back to it prayerfully and not ignoring it. And so perhaps a good goal, a good prayer for us all, which uh, I picked up from others, is a prayer that we might ask God to help us be more generous this year than we were last year. A prayer that we might be more generous this year than we were last year. Again, that's got nothing at all to do with the actual amount of dollars uh, our financial situations are always changing, and that's okay. Uh, especially for our youth and our, our young adults here, and for the uni students especially, uh, it's good to be aware that as your income grows uh, in the years to come, it's good to bear in mind what usually happens uh, with people's wealth as that grows in time. Usually, uh, generosity, generosity goes down. The actual generosity declines. Uh, because most people, as they get wealthier, give away a smaller percentage of their wealth, not greater. I think it'd be great as God's people to really want to buck that trend. Uh, but especially for our younger people, it's good to know you don't need to wait to be generous. Uh, it's better to get going now uh, because if you wait too long, you might end up like that wealthy person who doesn't give away much at all. 
Do you see that with all this in mind, uh, why verse 19 is so, so important? Paul says to the Philippians, My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. I reckon I'd be more generous if I really, really trusted in His promise. That God will give me everything I need. Of course He will, though. Uh, He's very, very good. And He knows what we need far more than we do, far more than we do. Uh, Notice Paul says uh, He doesn't give us what we want. He gives us what we need according to His wisdom tells us, doesn't it, that if we want to keep growing in our generosity, we need to keep growing in our prayerful prayerful dependence, uh, our trust that God will give us our daily bread. And just like that discipline we need to grow in our contentment, growing in generosity is intentional, it's disciplined, it's not assuming that one day we'll suddenly be generous, but asking God and trusting Him for help with our finances and especially with our hearts. Well, as Paul signs off uh, this wonderful letter from verse 20, uh, we see, of course, his big concern all along is not money at all, is it? Uh, it's about the glory of God. That's what Paul cares most about. And you sort of see in these verses the way that um, Paul finished with people greeting uh, these people, those people greeting those people, everyone's greeting everyone. Uh, just like all through the letter, we're reminded here that we bring glory to God as we remain united, as we share in gospel work together. And verse 23 knowing the grace of Jesus, that we have that mark, that grace mark us out in all we do. Because of the grace of Jesus Christ, because of Him, we desire His glory to be known in our world. And so our financial decisions as God's people will look very different to those who are yet to discover this grace. So, uh, as I wrap up, would you join me as we pray to God, asking for help in that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do meet all our needs and you will meet all our needs according to the riches of your glory in Christ Jesus. Uh, Knowing this, uh, help us trust that. Help each one of us grow in the trust of your promises. And please help us uh, keep grasping more and more the way that you have been so generous to us. Please move us to practice the discipline of being thankful, of not desiring more and more, Help us instead to be content, content in every circumstance, the good, the bad, in between. Help us to keep trusting in your goodness. So please grow us in our generosity as your people. Help us be more and more like the Philippians, rushing to invest in gospel work. And through it all, please, please grow us in our joy, and knowing that you are bringing people into your kingdom. You're growing that kingdom, and you're bringing glory to yourself. We ask you to continue to do that great work and we might have the joy of participating in it uh, as you see fit. We ask this all for the sake of your glory. Amen.